Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. I'm Andy Simon, your host and your guide. And as you know, because so many of you come to listen to our podcast, that my job is to get you off the brink. I want you to see, feel, and think in new ways so you can change. And the times, they are changing quickly now. I look for guests who are going to help you understand things from a fresh perspective. Today, I have Lorraine Harrington here with me. She is a marvelous person who is in our new book, Women Mean Business, over 500 insights from extraordinary leaders to spark your success. And when you hear what she's going to tell you today, you'll know why Women Mean Business has been such an absolutely amazing experience. Every time I open the book, it sheds a new light on what women are doing in business. Lorraine's bio, she's president and CEO of Catalyst. Now, if you're not familiar with Catalyst, it's a global nonprofit working with world's most powerful CEOs and leading companies to build workplaces that work for women. Catalyst's vision and mission are to accelerate progress for women through workplace inclusion. This lifelong passion for Lorraine has helped her build a career with senior level positions in Silicon Valley as an entrepreneur and executive. And then beginning at IBM, Lorraine served in the Obama administration in the Department of State and developed the Global STEM Alliance at the New York Academy of Sciences. She's also served on the UN Women Global Innovation Coalition for Change Boards, the Clayman Institute for Gender Research at Stanford University, and the Forum for Entrepreneurs and Executives. But it's as president of Catalyst that I met Lorraine, and that's how we're going to talk today about what organizations can do to really build workplaces that work for women. Lorraine, thank you so much for coming today. Andrea, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. It's so much fun. Tell the audience more about your journey, because I can read the bio, but you've had a wonderful career with a passion and purpose, and I'd like you to share that if you could. It would be my pleasure. So first of all, I want to say that the career that you just talked about is very different than the career I might have imagined when I was a uh, young. It's gone in a lot of different directions, and um, what I, um, I look forward to sort of talking about that. So when I was a child, um, my biggest influence was really my mother, and um, my mother, um, when, when she came into the workplace, which was um, in the fifties, was originally a teacher, and like many of her generation, she went back. She left the workplace when she had her three children. But then she went back and got um, a master's degree and eventually a PhD in psychology, actually around women, um, um, women's sexual fantasies during intercourse. It was very controversial. She ended up on the front cover of Psychology Today. And then she had a next phrase career um, as a psychologist and a lecturer out on Long Island. So she really gave me a sense that um, you can have different phases in your life. You can accomplish different things and women should have independent, strong careers. So she was a big influence. So the other big influence on me was I had dyslexia. I still have dyslexia. And because of that, um, I had certain real strengths and certain things that were limitations. I wasn't very um, popular. I wasn't a great athlete, but I was good in math. Um, and I ended up using that math ability 
to um, have a career in technology um, very early on. In fact, um, when I was in college, I originally went to college at upstate New York at Hamilton College. My math professor, my calculus professor, suggested that I take do an independent study computer science course at Hamilton College before there wasn't even computers on campus. We just had a teletype terminal into the Air Force Base in Rome, New York. Wow. Uh, but I, I wrote my own computer program. I fell in love with it. And it caused me to transfer to Stanford, where even at Stanford, they didn't actually have a computer science degree undergraduate. It was math sciences, math, computer science, statistics, and operations research. But it really gave me this great foundation into around something that my first passion was really around computers and the application of computers into solving problems. So um, so I, I transferred to Stanford. I got a sense of this um, that environment. I ended up taking a job actually back in New York for American Airlines, doing a big linear programming model um, for ferrying fuel around the American Airlines system. But I decided I didn't really like just programming, that I wanted to do something that used was more people-oriented within the computer industry. So at that time, IBM was the big place to work. It was like the Google or, you know, the Apple of, of the time. So I got a job actually in sales working for IBM. And I worked in the apparel industry in New York, knocking on doors, selling mid-sized computers to the apparel industry, which was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And I excelled at it. So I decided I wanted to be on the business side of the technology industry. I went back to Harvard Business School, got my MBA, and but decided to go back to California working for IBM um, in the next level in the sales track at IBM. And there was the other reason I went back to IBM after looking at all the jobs at Harvard Business School is IBM had women in leadership roles. It had the ability to balance career and family and a proven track record of enabling women to do that. So um, I was really looking for a workplace where I could be successful balancing career and family, which is still the number one challenge for women in business. And, you know, through my work at Catalyst, you know, I see that every day. So I went back to IBM, but eventually I went into Silicon Valley. Uh, IBM actually uh, acquired a company um, um, in Silicon Valley. I went to work for them. And then I ended up having a career at IBM. So I started in Silicon Valley. So I started at IBM. And then I left them to go to become an executive at a mid-sized company. And eventually I actually did two startups in Silicon Valley. So I had career at all these different levels, but in my early fifties, I wanted to really do something that was more impactful. Um, you know, I hadn't had a successful career there and, um, I um, became involved in women's leadership issues because, you know, really that was a defining thing around my uh, around my success and my lived experience. Um, I initially got involved in, you mentioned the organization, the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs and Executives that became Watermark. That was a women's uh, leadership network in Silicon Valley. I really benefited from my relationships that I had with women in Silicon Valley. We all bonded together. We even did great trips, like we went to India and Vietnam together. I went on the Clayman Institute for Gender Research. Um, I then decided to, um, after I left my second startup, to get involved in helping Hillary Clinton 
run for president of the United States in the 2008 cycle. So I took all my sales skills and my business skills that I had learned, and I focused on fundraising for her. And as a result of that, I became one of her top fundraisers. I became one of her top fundraisers in the Bay Area and really expanded my network, got to know a lot of people. Um, and that enabled me to go to... Um, to work for her, even though she didn't win the um, the nomination, as of course we all know, um, but to work for her at the State Department. And I went to work for her at the State Department as a special representative for commercial and business affairs. And by the way, through all of this, you know, I had my two children. I raised my two children in Palo Alto, California. Um, and of course, and, you know, had that was the other part of my life that was, was and is and continues to be very important. I now have three grandchildren as well as part of that. So that balance and career fam family has always been important to me. I also will mention that, you know, being in Silicon Valley, in tech in those days, you know, had a lot of challenges. And I think that is why that's been so important to me as the second major passion that has driven my life, this focus on women in the workplace. Um, and understanding that I was part of the first generation of women who really came of age after the very substantial change in the women's movement that happened in the late 60s and early 70s that opened up the doors for women to have real careers. Because like my mother, you know, in her generation, um, you, you didn't have young children and work. You couldn't go into the workplace and have a career. We read about Sandra Day O'Connor recently. We know that she wasn't able to do that. Um, Ruth Betty Grinsberg wasn't able to do that. You know, I was part of that generation that went into the workplace that was able to look ahead and develop a career, was thinking about balancing career and family. But we had a very, very rigid environment. You know, when I had my first child in 1985, we had to order business suits from a catalog, business maternity suits from a catalog. I could only take six weeks off because they didn't have maternity leave. They just had disability. Um, and when I've met with some of my friends and we've talked about this, we all had the same circumstances. <laughs> you didn't have the entire environment that you have right now. So um, I have that perspective that, you know, of wanting to change that workplace and we still have work to do on that. So, um, so I, my reason for wanting to help Hillary at the time when I had the luxury to be able to do that was because I really wanted to see the world change and the first woman president. So, but it not only did I pursue that passion and use the skills that you know I had learned through my business and from my my sales career um, to help her. Um, it, it opened up a whole new um, avenue for me that became the next chapter in my life for 10 years, really focused on that. So I went to the State Department um, and in the State Department, it was great. I was able to travel all around the world, representing the United States, help businesses overseas, do diplomatic agenda around um, economic and business issues. And I also launched a big program called the Global Entrepreneurship Program, which is still at the State Department, where we worked on capacity building in countries to take our innovation agenda and bring it overseas as part of our diplomatic agenda. So that was a very fulfilling experience. Um, and and. I left in 2014 because it was a political appointment. It ended. Um, and, and then I thought, well, I think there's a very good chance she would run again. So I did a portfolio career of doing consulting. I worked I worked at the New York Academy of Science, as you mentioned, um, doing business development for them and launched this Global STEM Alliance program. I launched a great program called 1,000 Girls, 1,000 Women, which 
was a mentoring program, a virtual mentoring program for um, for girls in STEM, um, and I helped Hillary. Um, but of course, we know all, we know the end of that story, um, and that didn't happen. And but then I was lucky enough to to be um, recruited to Catalyst, which has been just a wonderful opportunity for me. So I joined them in in 2018. I am going to be retiring from Catalyst um, when we find a replacement. So it's been like about five and a half year journey at this point. Um, and, and that's been really fulfilling for me because it really has has aligned this great passion I have with all the things I've learned over my career to really make change for that organization and to really impact women in the workplace. You know, as I listen to you, uh, and I want to stay focused on your career, but for the listener or the viewer, um, there wasn't a straight line. This was a journey with detours and serendipity and moments and all kinds of things that you capitalized on. Were you particularly risk averse or were you particularly um, adventuresome? I mean, they, they, when I take my archetype, I'm an explorer or a philosopher. And I've been to 37 countries and I've worked abroad many times. And I, like you, I, I don't need a structure. I need opportunity. I need an adventure. Sounds like you have adventured through life without care about whether or not it was the end, it was on to something new. Um, tell the listener a little bit about how do you do that? Do you do that with a particular, um, I don't know, mind that simply says, go for it? What the heck? Or do you have to plan it out? Well, you know, I've evolved over time. Um, I am very planful. And in the beginning of my career, I was focus when I joined IBM, they had a clear path for you. You didn't have to think about it. This is what you needed to do. And and I bought into that career path. Um, but, you know, over time, really, um, sometimes when I had my biggest bumps in my life, because I've had some, I've been, I've been fired, I've been, you know, put someplace else where, you know, maybe not fired, but it was a detour. Those things have happened. But, you know, out of those things, in those moments of reflection, is when I think I was able to grow the most, to to really learn and reflect on my strengths and weaknesses, and what motivates me, and and to reorient myself. Um, and these periods of transition can be real opportunities. And it 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 started in my late forties and early fifties is when I really started to understand that you know, what I needed to do is to align my strengths and what I really love to do behind my passions and to let the universe help me understand what those passions are. And in fact, that's what I'm doing right now as I look to my next chapter after Catalyst. I'm trying to open up the aperture and give myself time to evolve and think and, and let the let the universe take me in the direction. But with an understanding of what I really enjoy, what I where I have passion, what I'm really good at, where I give my, you know, and even in this moment, I, I'll try this out. Hmm, not that exciting. Try this out. Yes, I'm really excited about it. And yes, I, I, I find that I can do the things that I really am in the zone on that I naturally do well and that I that I focus on those things. So um that evolution, it's not um it's not really a risk. I'm a pragmatist. I'm not, you know, I'm 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 very practical, focused, like a doer. Um, but uh, this understanding that um, you, that you know uh, that life can take you in different directions, but you've got to be a lifelong learner. You've got to lean into your strengths. You got to evolve those. Um, is is the way I I found the most meaning and purpose and fulfillment. 
And now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. And to your point, I mean, when people say to me, how did you get to be a corporate anthropologist? I said, I made it up. And they said, you know, the imposter syndrome. I said, I've lived the whole life doing imposter stuff. I've never been fully skilled at whatever I've been. I spent, you know, 20 years in, in industry as an executive in banks and in healthcare. I was a tenured professor and I've been in business for 21 years now, making it up as we go along because each client's different, each opportunity is different, but the joy is the joy of creating. Uh, and I think that what you've done at Catalyst, and I want to go back to Catalyst for a moment because I do think it's been joyful for you, but it's been a creative process. My hunch is you've brought it along in a way that has been quite meaningful for you and the organization. Can you share with us a little bit about your own thoughts about Catalyst, about what's happened in women in the workplace? Because this is not inconsequential. When I was an executive, I'd go to board meetings. There were 49 men and none in me. We didn't say much. You know, we sat there hoping we could finish the meeting without getting in trouble. It's a different world today. What do you see happening and how is Catalyst doing stuff? Well, when I came to Catalyst in 2018, um, Catalyst had been around almost 60 years and it's an iconic organization. For those of you who are not familiar with it, you know, we have around 500 major corporations. We have a board of directors made up of CEOs of major uh, um, major organizations. I mean, it's really a who's who and, and um, has a tremendous brand. But the organization itself had um, lost some momentum. So I was brought in a bit of as a change agent. Um, and I sometimes say, you know, it was this beautiful brownstone in Brooklyn Heights that the old lady had not been renovating as much as they should have. So I had to um I had to do a lot of infrastructure and internal changes as well as set the strategy and the plan. Um, and you know, 
it's been, really been transformational and we're still transforming. You know, the, the rate of change, the rate of technological change is so great that every organization needs to, to move forward. And what Catalyst needs to do as an organization has, has changed over time. We celebrated our 60th anniversary a couple of years ago. So I really had a lot of opportunity to reflect. What Catalyst was when Catalyst started was a woman who um, had been a Smith graduate who wanted to go into business. And she, after her, after her children got into school and she saw the doors were closed for her for her career because in many cases classified as were gendered. You know, you could be a secretary, but you couldn't be um, a, a salesperson. You couldn't be an executive. Very limited choice. So her objective was to provide part-time work for educated women after their kids were in school. That's what she was trying to do. You know, today we're trying to help women thrive from the shop floor to the C-suite, of course, so that everyone can be successful by their own definition. Now, Along the way, there's been a lot of changes in what Catalyst focused on and, of course, what, what, what's happened for women in the workplace. So, you know, one of the key things that changed the Catalyst is a focus not only on how women can be effective and improve their capabilities and skills, but how do we change the work environment? That's why we now talk about our mission is creating workplaces that work for women. Um, so a lot of Catalyst's work is, is helping these companies create the environment where women can be successful. Um, Catalyst does research um, and it provides a whole um, range of tools and capabilities to help these companies be successful. And then a lot of community and convenings to bring them together to share best practices. So um, the the need for um, for tools and capabilities, in addition to research, has accelerated over the last um, 10 years or so as companies really dig in to make those changes to uh, to create that environment that works for women. So we think about things like now we call them paternity leaves, not just maternity leaves. And many cases in the large companies, they're as much as four months and they're trying to get men to do them as well as women. That's a sea change, more flexibility. I mean, the whole pandemic accelerated this move to more flexible working, but that's something that's been something Catalyst has been talking about for a long time. You know, measuring change is really important and that's evolved. You know, it, our most recent report that we're, we're going to be putting out shows that 93% of um, companies, large companies in the Catalyst portfolio do pay equity studies now. Even five years ago, they were not doing that. There was, you know, so that's changed. So, you know, the, the environment has changed radically and Catalyst has evolved with it. So, and then Catalyst, the infrastructure to support that, the types of skills we need, the type of um, uh, technology we need has evolved with it. But, you know, just to, you know, think about this. Um, today, there are over 10% women CEOs in the Fortune 500. You know, in my early career in the 80s and the 90s, I would, every year that they would come out with the Fortune 500, I would look and the only person who was the CEO was Catherine Graham, who took over the Washington Post when her husband committed suicide. Now, she did a great job, but she was not doing it on her own merit. What we see is the women who came into the workplace like I did in the early 70s, early to mid 70s, all born in the 1950s, all joined the workplace in the 70s, 
Those are the ones who became CEOs around the turn of the 21st century, um, starting with Jill Bird at Mattel, Andrea Jung at Avon, um, at Xerox. They actually he, they had um, Anne Mulcahy, followed by, Ur- by Ursula Burns, Ginny Weir-Mamoti, Andrew Nui, a diverse group of really talented, amazing women were the first group who really were able to do that. And um, But now we're over the last five years, we've doubled. We now have um, over 30% women on boards. And in the Catalyst community, we have over 30% in in senior leadership in in our membership. So what that means is there's a new norm. There's a critical mass. 30% is critical mass. So we are critical mass on a lot of these measures. That is why Catalyst now is not focusing on women on boards. We're focusing on how all women can thrive from the shop floor to the suite at every level. So that's an evolution on who Catalyst is. I've been driving that that broader definition of success as we've evolved to what really needs to be done. And also in response to companies who understand that women are, you know, women have 60% of the undergraduate degrees now. They're, they're graduating more law degrees than more medical degrees. Um, they We have a much more diverse population. We're focused on diversity. And that is why, you know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, a, a lot of political issues around DEI as a word. But the fact of the matter is companies are very committed because they know they have a diverse workforce. They've all got to work together. They all got to feel like they belong. And in in the United States and around the world, we have to be able to work together to have um, to have a really impactful, innovative workforce. So that's what we're working on. I am having such fun listening to you. And I don't know if you and I have ever had enough time for me to hear or my audience to hear how the world has changed. Remember, I'm a corporate anthropologist that helps companies change. What I love to do is change. And what you are articulating is your own career evolved. Catalyst's whole mission and purpose has evolved. And the workplace that you are focused on is evolving into a whole new and much better, inclusive, exciting place for women to thrive. And isn't this exciting to watch and see um, I'm not quite sure it's going to go backwards because I think that the pressure from talented women for new ways of doing things is going to transform the workplace. You know, whether it's how do you have a blended life, if not a balanced life, about how do you really find, you know, I met one person who was building childcare at the at the offices because he knew that was the only way he was going to keep his workforce. I love, you know, building, what's so hard? Why are we not paying attention to our children? You know, bring them to work and make them part of the whole culture that we have here. And I don't think the pandemic has been all that bad. My clients that I coached during that time were actually having a wonderful experience of being home and working and doing it with a different, you know, use of time and space. But it's it's a really interesting opportunity for you to see that and now to think through, hmm, what's next? A radical next. Because I have a hunch you'd love to radically next the next phase in some fashion. It's technology, it's transformation, it's new openness to it. What do you see coming next? Well, you know, you mentioned technology, and I mentioned I am a technologist uh, by training. And spent my career. Know <clears throat> so that technology drives change. Mm-hmm. Now, the the um, the changes that allowed women to become part of the workforce were driven 
by the birth control field, the vacuum cleaner, <laughs> electrification, you yes. know, the 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 reduction of the need for um, women to stay home and do all these tests. The 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 knowledge worker being the key person in the workplace, and that's only accelerating. So um, so we we are we should understand we are the result of the world we live in. My mother was a result of that. RBG was a result of that. My daughter is going to be a result of the environment that 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 she's a part of as as well as my grandchildren. So, you know, technology is the biggest driver of those changes. Uh, and um we are going to be living in a world where I hope we have more flexibility to integrate career and family and to really be able to have women really have equal ability to make their own decisions on how they want to balance their lives. I mean, that's what we're trying to do so that every woman thrives by their own definition of success. So that's what we're we're working towards. You know, I'm I, I'm sitting and listening, and I'm hopeful. I have a, a woman I know who's president of a large insurance company, and uh, we were sitting and talking not too long ago. And she said, "Well, let me tell you, I was a coat girl." She said, <laughs> "I'd walk into Lloyd's of London <clears throat> with a deal, and they'd hand me their coats as the men walked in one after another. They thought I was a coat girl, and finally they all had it, sat down, and I turn around and sit at the head of the table and say, "Now let me tell you about the deal I brought you." And the guys all went, oh, and she said, do you think that will ever stop? And I said, yes, I'm not sure when. I said, but I guess you could have stopped it if you wanted to at that moment. But somehow the woman has to be able to comfortably say, I'm sorry, but the coat rack is over there. Or no, I'm not taking notes today. Who shall we have as our note taker today. How do we assert ourselves in a way that establishes a more balanced role? Uh, you're smiling at me. You're thinking about something. What are you thinking of? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a two-way street here. And, you know, uh, Catalyst has a lot of work on this. Um, not only do the women need to do that, but the men need to become yes. um, advocates and allies for women in the workplace. In fact, Catalyst has a whole initiative called Mark, Men Advocating Real Change, where to, to help the, the men understand how they can be part of that change. Because, I mean, I, I think the clearest example is, you know, they say that women don't negotiate for salary increases as well as men. There's a big pay gap and it's a result of this. Um, but there's, you know, it, it's not just, it's not the women just not negotiating. It's the culture that doesn't enable them to negotiate. So a woman in general is much better off someone asking someone else to ask them. Because if, if like this poster that I have in the back here that says this unconscious bias campaign we did, which says that she's not aggressive, she's assertive. Well, if a man goes and asks for raise, he's He's assertive and he should get raised. A woman goes in, she's aggressive, you know. So, you know, we, we've got to do both of those things. I often preach that the words we use create the worlds we live in. And you just made an important point there because the word that you use takes the same behavior and makes it good or bad. And it is very interesting because they, the definers of those meanings, you know, humans are meaning makers. And if the guys are the definers of the meaning, one thing happens, but somehow we've got to get a balance in how we 
how we think about the behavior as being, uh, is it assertive or is it aggressive? What's the same behavior? Who's defining it? And how do we then create a mirror back so the women know that's the right behavior? And and that's and the guys understand that's not acceptable from them also. And I do think, I don't think, you know, I, I watch some companies where I watch the guys backlash. And I, I say, why don't we collaborate on the transformation instead of becoming adversarials or resistors to it? Change is humanly painful. The brain hates it. So let's create a new story because we're story makers. And if I can create a new story, then we can live that new story. But if we're going to fight the story out, it's going to be quite uh, interesting. I know too many women who have left corporate because they were tired of the story that put them in the wrong role. And they went out to launch their own business or find some other place. And so it's an interesting time for women to see what can be done and for men to help create a new environment. Are there some illustrative cases that you can share or are they all proprietary and it's not possible to share them? Any kind of story that might illustrate how it's actually happening? No. Well, I will say there are many, many stories of success. Um, and if you, you go to the Catalyst website, that's all. We have tons of success stories. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, the stories of um, companies that transform themselves. We have a, a Catalyst has an award, the Catalyst Award. We give out um, every year at our big annual conference and dinner. Um, people nominate themselves. They go through an application process, <laughs> very rigorous. Last year, um, the Hartford is one of the winners of, of it. They have transformed the company at every level to, you know, with all the things we're talking about, measurements, um, you know, get affecting bias, sponsorship programs, really changing the fundamental culture of the organization. Um, so, and, you know, you can listen to what they do, but there's hundreds of examples of companies that have done great jobs around it. And of course we have, Lots of examples, you know, I mentioned some of the trailblazers, you know, to the Fortune 500. You read Indra Nui's book, she'll talk all about these issues. And, yes. and so there are many, many examples of successes, people who've uh, affected the odds, people, companies who've done great jobs of changing the culture. It, it's all over the place. So rather than name a specific one, I I, I think. That's good. No, that's yeah. good. Enough. And if people are looking for companies to work for, they probably can find illustrations at Catalyst and your website to begin of to course, way through. Yes. And, and that is a real resource to be available. You know, this has been such fun. I think that we're probably ready to share with our listeners or our viewers one or two things you want them to remember. And then how to reach you if they'd like more information about you or about Catalyst. What do you well, think? That sounds great. Well, I think the overriding thing to say is that life is a journey. Mm-hmm. And that journey um, is to understand what your passions are, what gets you excited, what gets you up every day, enjoying it. And then what do you really enjoy um, in terms of your skills? What do you have the most to contribute to this world? And if you can align those, um, that that's I, I, that's what I, I try to do. Um, and, and the other thing is to realize that there are lots of chapters in life mm-hmm. and you, would, you need to make sure is that you have the resiliency and the learning mindset to go from one chapter to the next and open the aperture around it. So um, I'm happy to talk to anyone on this call. Um, you can go to the Catalyst website at www.catalyst.org if you want to learn more about the work that we're doing. 
And um, you can uh, get a hold of me that way as well. Um, and I'm going to be going on my next chapter as well. So I'm opening the aperture up. Well, I can't wait to hear about your next chapter. I have a hunch it's going to be full of adventure and joy and beautiful. And I, I don't know, you leave behind you better places and with great purpose move forward. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I just think it's a special moment to be able to go both into your life and all the work that you're doing and the will, the, the, the wonderful way it's making a difference. For my listeners and my viewers, thank you always for coming. Remember, our job is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. And I think that a visit to Catalyst might help you see organizations that are already doing this and want to keep it going, and you can as well. My books, On the Brink, Fresh Lands to Take Your Business to New Heights, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, and our new book, Women Mean Business with Robin Spiesman and Edie Fraser, are all available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble for you. It gives you a perspective both of how anthropology sees the world and helps you change, and what we see happening, particularly for women. 102 Women and Women Mean Business are all here to help you change your life. We often say, turn a page and change your life. Lorraine's chapter is wonderful. I love her little thing here. She talks about she navigated with her um, uh, dyslexia and her principle is major your majors, nurture your unique gifts. And that's what we heard about today. Thanks again. Thanks, Lorraine. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye now. <laughs>